Hi everyone, welcome to Refining Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Ewan, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. Okay, for this episode, the piece of advice I received is that there is an art and science to everything. And this is actually the advice that taught me how to view work styles as well as ensure I had a holistic approach to a project. It could be for program management, but as a consultant, I really focus more on project management approaches. So I was staffed on a project at Microsoft and there was a brand new department that was forming. It was a really small department and there were six or seven employees working there. And then they had 20 or 30 vendors under them that they would be managing. And they were going to be doing marketing operations. So things like running the website and collecting data on newsletter click-throughs and putting the newsletter together and all of that. And this was a new department. So They had picked me because I had a background in designing new organizations, and I had written a methodology called organizational strategy and design, but kind of aligned the design or the structure of your team to the strategic objectives that you want to meet. And I had just launched this methodology globally across the firm, and this was my first project implementing some of those tools and templates that I had created. So I was really excited and had a meeting with the client who's an executive and explain to her sort of that methodology. You know, first we would figure out the department level mission or purpose statement and then the primary role descriptions and then put together the structure and the processes. And her response was, wow, Lindsay, I love all that, but we only have a couple of weeks to figure out what we're doing. So you are great at the science part, but I'm going to need you to be an artist on this project. And I was devastated because (laughs) I had the tools and templates And I thought more black and white back then that you have to pick a methodology, you follow that methodology, and then you achieve the outcome that you want to achieve. And I wasn't flexible. And I think that's what the artist brings. And so when I heard that, I had to really sit with it and think about it and think, how do I take that science-based approach that I've done so much research on and learned so much about and even taught others about and infuse this more artistic approach where I think outside of the box. I only use bits and pieces of that because we don't have the gift of or the luxury of time. You know, I needed six to eight weeks to do this and we had a couple of weeks to figure it out. And I thought a lot about you, Justin, because you and I worked so closely together and we worked really well together and we felt like the blind spots I had were areas where you shined and vice versa. And I realized it was because you were much more of that artist work style type and I'm much more of that scientist type. And really the best approach is to meld the two together. So when I talk about there's an art and science to everything, Justin, both you and Shanae are well aware. You are more on the artist side and you guys think differently than like the average person. I know that at Hitachi, when we were working together, there would be like 80% of people are this work style and that'd be me. (laughs) And, you know, 10% are this work style. And there's this 2% over here. And I'd be like, and that's Justin and Shanae, that 2%. (laughs) I think that's why I learned so much. So Justin, what are your thoughts on work styles and the artistic versus the scientific approach? 
Well, the scientists think the artists are a bunch of flakes, and the artists think the scientists have sticks too far up their wazoo. They definitely need both, and I would say you're right. In our old practice at Hitachi, we use the Kiersey study, and I know myself and a colleague of mine, whenever we face challenges of working with someone, we pull out the old Kiersey study. We'd be like, oh, that's right. That's why we're having challenges. And it's not to say that one type was bad or worse than the other. If you understand where something's coming from and you understand where their strengths are, where their development areas are, and you really understand what they bring to the table, you can actually create a more cohesive team. You know, I know strength finders will say, focus on your strengths, don't work on your weaknesses. I'm not sure I'm completely on board with that, but I do find you can't expect a giraffe to be an elephant. And you can't expect an elephant to be a giraffe, right? They serve different roles on the savannah. And so if you want to pull together the right team, I think it's figuring out what are you good at? Where do you potentially have, I wouldn't even call them weaknesses, but we all are really strong in particular areas. And part of it's the way we're made as human beings. And I don't think we should fight that too much, right? I think we should figure out how to work with it. So I actually find some of these assessment tools like Kiersey. We use Kiersey actually when I was running my practice here at my current company, we used Kiersey and it was incredibly helpful. We'd get people assessed as part of their onboarding so that we could just get a really, a much better understanding of where that person really shined and where we could best, you know, leverage their talents, their gifts, their capabilities for the benefit of the firm. There are four personality types in Kiersey and I sat right on the line between between an idealist and an artisan. So that makes me really fluffy and woohoo. Whereas a lot of the folks in our practice at our old firm were guardians. So very process driven, want to know the left and right limits. What can I do? What can I do? What are the rules of the road? They want things to be very clear much more black and white. And of course, there's variations on a theme, right? So not everyone is the same type of guardian, if you will. So Kiersey had guardian, idealist, rationalist, and artisan. And the closer you were to the origin point of the quadrant, the more you expressed different components of all four of those personalities. The further out you were, and the further in the middle of your particular quadrant, the stronger of that particular style. I would say as about midway to the origin, maybe two-thirds of the way, and right on the line between artisan and idealist. And that actually helped me to understand, you know, a lot of people looked at me because maybe 80, 90% of the practice were guardians. They were all looking at me like, flaky, you're fluffy, you're not as disciplined, you're not blah, blah, blah. I remember having different conversations with my boss, Maria Kramer at the time, just going, you know, I, I'm not sure I fit in. In fact, I had a really strong personality conflict with one particular individual in our practice who I think was likely an uber guardian. And then I'm sitting over here as an idealist artisan, and it was like oil and water. It just did not work. I'm not sure we ever fully got to an appreciation of one another. And I'm not sure we ever will, and that's okay. But I think it's incredibly important that you have a really solid mix of talents and abilities. I think it's really important not to disparage where someone else is strong. As human beings, we inherently think we are right. Like the opinions, the views that I hold are correct. We may not be dogmatic about it, but I think when push comes to shove, we pretty much think we're right. But I think it's really important to be open and gracious and thoughtful about what you're good at, where you're not as strong, and where you need other people around you to produce the best possible outcome 
for the situation that you're addressing or for the client that you're serving. Lindsay, you and I made a great combo. Not that we never had friction points, but oftentimes I don't think those friction points were because we had different strengths. It had more to do with our ability to empathize and understand where the other person was coming from. We were kind of like wonder twin powers activate, right? You might've been the slide rule and I might've been the pixie dust, but you put a little pixie dust on the slide rule and suddenly you've got some magic. So that's kind of my thoughts. I strive to put people who are different and have different strengths around me on purpose because I just know I'm not all that. I can't do it all. I don't want to do it all. And frankly, there are just some things I just don't enjoy, but I know other people do. And so, hey, you come in and you do that. I think I'm a pretty good utility player, but I do not try to be all things to all people. I know what I'm good at, and I want to pretty much stay in that lane as much as possible. I think the way that we collaborated so well in having polar opposite work styles was because we were willing to address what bothered us about one another's style or ask questions and get curious about the other person's style and why they thought that approach was a better approach and ended up learning a lot from one another. And it builds off of the last episode and the conversation we were having about being able to remember that there are multiple paths to achieve an outcome. And so you can learn from others by taking another path. And one of the biggest things that I learned from you, Justin, as an artist was you had said to me that thinking about a problem and how to solve it is work time. That's working. Because as a scientist, I thought I had to actually be doing something, putting pen to paper, writing an email, be sitting in the office for it to count as work time. And once you explained that to me, I realized how much better I was when I took a half a day to solve a really big, ugly, complex problem by going for a walk and thinking or going to the park and sitting and thinking about it. And not all the time, because you become less productive if you use time outside of the office, like your evenings and time when you're trying to get rest, just to think about the problem. But actual hours dedicated to work, to think about all of the different approaches and ways to mitigate risks and challenges that are in your path. Yeah. I still struggle sometimes where I joke, I have to strap myself down to my office chair and just pound something out. And I'm not getting up until I get it done because my tendency will be to want to think and mull and chew and work through all the permutations and ultimately maybe not accomplish much. And I know that about myself, so I really focus on it. I mean, that's true today. There are things that I'm strapping myself down to my chair to get done today, like all my expense reports. I think it's really important to try to be self-aware. That's one of the most important questions when I interview folks and when folks are seeking promotion is I ask them, what are your three development areas? And development areas are not necessarily like, what are you bad at? They're just areas that you know that you could use some work or you may always have to mitigate against it, right? It's a risk. And so you've got to mitigate against it. I always lead with my development areas because I want that individual to know that, yeah, I might have the title of vice president right now, but that doesn't mean I don't have development areas. And I want to be aware of those development areas and not I'm so passionate about my work that I work too much. That's not a freaking development area. <laughs> that is a self-absorbed statement that you're making about yourself. A development area is I struggle with follow through and I'm painfully aware of it. And there are times that I utterly fail, but ways that I proactively work to mitigate that is I set false deadlines for myself. I try not to overpromise a due date or a delivery date to folks. And frankly, I have to apologize a lot, but I'm aware of it and I try to mitigate it. And I also try to put people around me who will 
feel comfortable telling me, hey, Euler, you're behind, you need to pick it up, or hey, Euler, reminder, you've got this coming up. And I put a lot of things on my calendar too. If it's on my calendar, I'm probably going to get it done. So I think just that self-awareness speaks to that work style piece as well. You've got to be self-aware, not only understand the people you need to put around you, but how are you going to mitigate the risk that you introduce to any given situation and follow through for me as a risk that I want to introduce. Yeah. As an artist, Justin, there's a lot that I learned from your work style and how you think and approach problems. But one of the biggest ones, it was advice that I had heard in grad school from a professor, which was rules were meant to be bent, not broken. But you taught me in terms of seeing it in practice. And what comes to mind actually is the project that we did when we were going down to Florida facilitating workshops for weeks. And we told them that there were guardrails that we needed to follow. So we could brush up against the guardrails as long as we stayed on the road, but we couldn't run them down (laughs) completely. And you had found an image to explain that to this group of employees we were facilitating a workshop for. And it was this windy road with guardrails. And I always thought of it as a straight highway with no turn that we were trying to go down. And you taught me that you have to go with the flow with twists and turns and get creative without breaking any hard rules. You know, you don't want to, for example, share information that is not your place to share like from someone like the Microsoft to an Amazon, for example. You wouldn't want to share their IP. That's a hard rule. But you could leverage IP and information that you learned on one project to create something new, a new solution, but leveraging some of the best practices that you had tried elsewhere for a new company. I don't know if you remember that moment and doing your speech about sometimes we brush up against them and that's okay. Yeah, there are moral, ethical, and legal boundaries that I hold very strongly to. We're not talking about like, how can I get away with first degree murder? Or how can I run against this ethical line without quite crossing over it? Well, if you're already talking like that, chances are you've already crossed over the ethical line. If you have to ask where the line is, chances are you've crossed it already. I'm not talking about those situations. I'm just talking about sometimes constructs that we put in place or boundaries that we constrain ourselves to. And we don't ever ask why. Why is that our assumption? I always like to articulate assumptions whenever I'm addressing something and just call them out. Let's put them out into the open. We all have assumptions or we all have expectations that we're bringing into a particular situation. So for a long time by certain folks at our prior firm, I was perceived as kind of a cowboy or a rule breaker. And it wasn't because I think I actually was just that I felt like that road's not quite as straight as you think it is, or that we need to open up our creative sandbox a little bit more. I'm not asking people to step outside the sandbox, but I want to give them a little bit more artistic license within the sandbox. So for me, it's always been a matter of creative problem solving, of creating balance, setting boundaries, like we talked about in a prior episode. And there are folks that assume a very rigid set of constructs and rules that may be really self-imposed to help them feel comfortable, but aren't actually moral, ethical, legal constraints that are being put on us from the outside. And so I like to challenge Acousinese and Posner's The Leadership Challenge, a good old book from two business profs at University of Santa Clara. They talk about challenge the process. And I think I'm more along the lines of it's less breaking rules and it's more challenging processes and asking the questions, do we really have to do it that way? Is there another way to do it? That's what I would emphasize. My daughter 
is becoming more of an artisan, but she's definitely most of her life been that hardcore kind of rule follower. That's the rules. That's the way it is. That's the way it's got to be. And it's more like, well, well, really? Is that really the way it has to be? Or is that just, do you feel more comfortable to do it that way? And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about rules as preferences, as opposed to rules that are moral, ethical, or legal stipulations. Right. And today I know you think similarly. I assume you relate more to the artist than the scientist. What are your thoughts on bending versus breaking the rules and what Justin just said? I totally agree. For me, I need more understanding of what the rules are and I need them really clearly defined and I need context, but then I'll bump up against that guardrail with no problem. But like you were saying earlier with the winding road, it's so important to understand that it's not rigid that there are going to be twists and turns and unexpected things coming along. If you set those guardrails in place, then it's a lot easier to manage those twists and turns as they come. One of the very first things that I always do on a project or a new work stream, whatever it is, is define those things to make sure that if we're getting close to crossing over those boundaries, you can go back and say, Hey, look, remember we agreed on this in the beginning and we're getting dangerously close here. So let's take a step back and talk about what this means. And by doing that ahead of time, before you even start working, it makes it a lot easier to pull those up later if it's needed. Yeah. Earlier, Justin and I were talking about how 80% of people fall into the guardian role in Justin's example, but more of a scientific approach. And you and Justin are more of that 2%. So we've talked about this recently, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how that helps and challenges you. Like Justin, I love, love, love working with people who think, work, feel differently than me about things. And it hadn't always been that way. Very early in my career, I had a manager who she and I just did not see eye to eye. And I was so excited to work with her. She had an amazing reputation and I knew her to be this brilliant person. But when I was working with her, I was like, man, like something about this is not what I was expecting. And so this went on for a few months and eventually, you know, I scheduled a separate out of cadence meeting with her and I said, what's going on? Like, how can we make this work better? And we actually pulled out one of these personality assessments, if that's what you want to call it. And we were on direct opposite ends of this assessment, the results. And so she was very by the book, need a bullet, stick to the agenda. And if there's time after we get through all the bullet points, we can talk about other things where I would come into a meeting and I would be like, I've got these great ideas. So even though I had a bullet list of things, I often didn't stick to them because I was more focused on Let's do all of these really great things that no one's ever thought about. And so once we have that conversation, it was like, oh my gosh, it's very clear why this hasn't been working. And so it was just life-changing for me to have that conversation with her because then we were able to see each other for our strengths instead of our stressors for each other. You know, in one of the very practical ways, I knew that if I had a big idea, we could say at the beginning of the meeting, I've got this idea I want to talk to you about, but let's get through these bullet points first. And we ended up being an amazing team working together. And we ended up being very close after we got all those kinks out. But it was really important to understand we were coming from different places. And it just made it such a different experience after that. Yeah. And I think like Justin had pointed out before, you can also delegate tasks to the scientists that they prefer and the artists that they prefer. Like I know, for example, you and Justin are not interested in details, logistics, the admin side. Yeah. I can do that pretty quick. I don't mind it. 
so I take on that role if I'm working with you or Justin, because I know you don't want to do it. But I can't come up with the big ideas and creativity. And I let you guys take that piece and try to learn on how to think bigger like that. I know when we were in grad school, Shanae, we took, I think there's personality assessments, work style assessments, even like communication assessments specifically. We took a bunch of those. And the one that stuck with me the most was true colors. You were one of three colors. You were red, blue, or green. I want to say red was task-oriented, blue was people-oriented, and green was data-oriented. And I took that and just to make it really easy on myself, because you don't always have time to sit down with somebody and do work style assessment. And sometimes people aren't willing to do that also. Like you can't ask your client, you know, could you take this way? We can talk about our approach and how we're different. But I would try to take shortcuts to how can I identify somebody's high level work style and then adjust my approach accordingly. And so one that I did was people versus task oriented. I just said, okay, if I see them having hallway conversations or I hear them say, how are you? How was your weekend at the beginning of a conversation? They're people oriented and I need to give them a second to have that introductory conversation before we dive in. And if they're task oriented, I do not ever interrupt them unless I absolutely have to. And I just get right to my point. And I know they're task oriented because they're not stopping and having the conversations. And if they're leading a meeting or approaching me, it's right to the point right away, getting things done. Are there any tips or tricks that you've learned, you know, especially as a change manager on how do I more quickly identify and adjust to people's preferences without having a full assessment available? Yeah, so I'll say one of the things that I learned specifically from the manager that I talked about a bit ago is the importance of an agenda for people who really need that to be able to be focused. And so one of the things that I always do first few meetings is I'll send an agenda ahead of time for whatever meeting it is and then bring hard copy printouts for people and watch to see if it's a group meeting or if it's a one-on-one who takes their pen out to mark off the topics as we're done with the topic, who's taking notes to understand where that need is for people if we haven't had the opportunity to take one of these tests, right? Or to evaluate each other in that way. And you can learn so much by handing people a hard copy agenda in your early meetings with them. And it's something that I always do because you'll always have the people who are checking things off, writing down follow-up questions, not wanting to stray for those things. And the people who will say, okay, next topic, you know, move the meeting along versus the people who will never look at the printout while you're talking. And those are more the idea people, right? And so it's just something that I have always done ever since that experience. And it's really helped me learn quickly about that particular aspect of how people operate. There are several other things I would recommend to everyone that they do one of these assessments. You can find them online while you're doing DISC or Myers-Briggs or whatever it is. You can find them all online. But one of the great things about the printouts for these assessments is they'll give you things that motivate you, things that stress you so that you can be a little more self-aware. But then they'll also explain for the other groups that maybe you didn't fall into what motivates those people and what stresses those people. And so... I've also used those things often as guidelines in meetings with people to help understand them, especially in the beginning, a little bit more by studying them that way as well. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great advice. Justin, anything you would add before we wrap up? At the end of the day, just having a heart of empathy and being willing to see 
difference is a good thing and understanding again yourself and knowing that you need others who are different than you to create a really cohesive good team and that your perspective frankly isn't always the right perspective it's yours and i'm not arguing for relativism here guys i'm just saying that we need to know that our perspective can be very limited and highly subjective if you have empathy humility really comes out of those two things. I think empathy and humility, you're going to assume the best of those around you. That's all for today's episode. To order your copy of the book, Refine and Grow, Lessons Learned on Navigating the Business World and Access Additional Resources, head out to our website at refineandgrow.com. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.